God's name will be glorified. He ensures that. He guarantees that. He invites us along to partake in that. And I think that's something very special, that God's name is going to be glorified. What does it take to get you to step out and do something that's a little bit crazy? I was thinking about the 4th of July coming up tomorrow, and um, taking on the British Empire as a bunch of little colonies. That's crazy. But they had a passion. What's it take to get you to do something a little bit crazy? I'm going to walk you through a little bit of a different outline for the sermon today. So bear with me on this. It'll be a little bit different, but that's okay. Uh, Coming up on this week, Pastor David and myself and several of the student leaders, we're going to take the teenagers to Worlds of Fun. Um, I'm hoping that we'll ride some roller coasters. So I want to talk to you a little bit about riding roller coasters today, or at least how to talk someone into riding roller coasters. About a year ago, uh, Emily and I went to Disney World, and Emily had never ridden a roller coaster. And so let me tell you a little bit about the process of getting Emily to ride a roller coaster. It involved, first of all, walking through the park, and Emily watched as these high roller coasters went up, 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 and then she watched them come down, and she saw people screaming, and she saw it going fast, and her response to me as we were walking in the park, and I told her I was going to try to talk her into this, was, that's unbelievable that you're trying to get me to do this. Are you kidding me? So that's the first step in talking someone into riding a roller coaster, is their first response is, are you kidding me? I don't think so. Second step. The second step was we actually got her on the roller coaster. And so on the roller coaster, one of the most terrifying parts is climbing that first big hill. And it goes nice and slow. And usually the chain jerks the cart around a little bit. And the response that Emily gave me was, I can't believe you talked me into this. I'm not speaking to you ever again. (laughs) But then we come over the hill, and we come down, and we're flying down the tracks, and we hit the first turn, and I look over, and there's a smile on Emily's face. And I hear her say, this is kind of fun. (laughs) We get off the roller coaster, And we're walking away, and Emily looks at me, and she goes, can we do it again? That's the process of riding a roller coaster, and that's the outline that we're going to use for today's sermon. We're going to be in the book of Joshua, in Joshua 6. And I want you to notice that very much like that process of getting someone on a roller coaster, that had to be what was going through Joshua's mind as God took him on the greatest conquest that I can find just absolutely amazing. It's an amazing story of Joshua's faith, but really of God's provision as Joshua fights the battle of Jericho. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6 today. Before I dig into the text itself, I want to set the stage a little bit to give you some ideas about what the city of Jericho must have looked like. 
So let me tell you a little bit about the city of Jericho. Jericho would have been the first city that Israel would have encountered. The city itself, probably not a city. City is probably the wrong word for it. More like Fort Jericho, if we were to think about it. Why? Because total area of the city, the walls, everything, was only nine acres. That's not very big. Nine acres, if you were to walk around nine acres, it would take you less than half an hour. So not, not big, but small. Fort Jericho is probably more appropriate. The tell or mound, in archaeology they talk about a tell. If you ever hear the word tell Jericho or uh, tell bell, different things, that means the mound, the hill. The tell of Jericho was wrapped with an earthen rampart. So if you look on the picture that I've got up on the screen, I'll come over to this one here, there is a retaining wall or a revetment wall followed by an actual mud brick wall and then there's a sloped rampart that goes up to the upper wall. So that's how the city was laid out. And I want to give you just some, some measurements because this is a city that we actually have found and people dig up and so we can talk with a lot of detail. That retaining wall or that revetment wall is about 15 feet high, okay, in, in the ancient archaeology that we've dug up. On top of that wall, there's the lower wall. That wall is between 20 and 26 feet high in different areas, okay? Then I told you that there's that rampart that, that heads up to the upper wall or to the inner wall. At the top, that rampart is 46 feet above ground level, and then on top of the rampart is the upper wall, which sits another 26 feet above the rampart. So we're talking about a total of 72 feet. That's a big wall. You know, this is 30 feet. So double this. That's the wall that Joshua was standing by. That's the wall that Israel was told, conquer that city. Big deal. Um, the wall's thickness was probably at least six feet thick, and oftentimes much thicker than that, probably. So, big fortifications. So that is what Joshua is looking at when we start Joshua 6. Let's read verses 1 through 7 in Joshua 6. Joshua 6, verses 1 through 7. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carrying trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. So, my first point is unbelievable. 
God's methods often defy our better judgment. Just like walking up to a large roller coaster. So Kansas City, Worlds of Fun, actually has one of the bigger roller coasters, the Mamba. It's big. It's tall. And as you walk up to it, your thought is unbelievable. I'm going to go up there? Unbelievable. And that has to be what Joshua thought. Look at some of the details in verse 2. Well, let's start with verse 1. It says, The gates of Jericho were securely barred because the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Jericho was secure. They had locked it down. The big gates at the big walls were closed up. If you're going to approach Jericho, you're not going to have much success. This fort is ready for battle. Look what uh, happens in verse 2. The Lord says to Joshua, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. I want you to notice what it doesn't say. God doesn't say, I will deliver Jericho into your hands. God says, I've delivered it into your hands. It's a done deal. City's done. Don't worry about it. In fact, that's the sort of attitude that, that comes out in this. Is, yeah, they say that they're locked up. They say it's secure. I've already delivered this into your hands. This is a done deal. Don't worry about it. God was more concerned with his own people's heart than he was with this city that he could level in a moment. And he will just level it. The city is taken care of. God's got bigger plans for Israel. Verses 1 and 2 stand in stark contrast to each other. From the world's point of view, the city was secure. God's point of view, it's already done. It's been delivered. I've taken care of this. God already had victory in the city of Jericho. Where he wanted victory was in the hearts of his people. I want you to understand in our church, God already has victory in our construction project. He already has victory in every aspect that we can imagine. Where he's looking for victory right now is not in construction. It's done. He can take care of that. It's our hearts. That's where God wants to see victories won. We'll talk about that a little bit more. I want you to look at the orders that God gives to Joshua. The orders are simple. March, then march, then march some more. There's a winning battle plan for you. March, then march, then march just a little bit more. I cannot imagine what this must have been like for the people of Israel. Some of you might have better imaginations, because I want you to, to picture this. It's not exactly easy to get all of your military garb on and get prepared to go out to battle. That's something that takes time. Um, if any of you have ever been in the military, there's a certain standard that you have to meet, right? You don't just wake up out of, roll out of bed and go out. No, you, you've got to get your uniform on. You've got to get prepared. I imagine they had to get ready to go. And then they're going to march around the city. Remember, I told you it was nine acres. Marching around the city, nine acres, would be about half an hour's worth of work. I'm guessing you'd spend more time getting in uniform and lined up than they spent marching around the city. And then, go back to camp. 
Okay, I imagine it's a lot like some of you who've got four kids trying to get them all to super saver in order to go buy a bag of chips or something, right? You get them loaded in the car, you finally get everyone's seatbelt on, and then Sally tells you she has to go to the bathroom. So you get them all out of the car, you go use the bathroom, you get them all back in the car, you drive the super saver, you can't leave them in the car, so you get them all out of the car, you go through the checkout, it's like five minutes, and it could have taken 30 seconds, but you have to tell everyone, stop, put those candy bars back. Okay, it's an ordeal for something that seems relatively trivial. I imagine that's how they felt. March around the city, 30 minutes, and back at camp. Look at the responsibilities that, they, that God gives to all of the people in verses 4 through 7. Lots of responsibility here. Just march. That's all you're going to do is just march around the city. I know what I would have been thinking. I would have been asking, why? What are we doing? I would have thought, this is silly. I would have wanted to whisper to Emily, this is ridiculous. I can't believe we're following Joshua in this. But it says that they weren't allowed to speak at all. I probably would have wanted to fake like twisting my ankle or something to get out of marching the next day. I would have done everything I could do to do it differently. But God's orders were simple. Just march. His responsibility is simple. Just march. You don't have to make this harder than it is. Just march. God asked seven priests to carry seven trumpets, and they marched for seven days. The number seven in the Bible often represents completeness. God is saying to the people, just do what I tell you to do. Just march. I'll take care of the rest. So let me give you an action step, or uh, an action question, really. I want you to ask yourself, what is God asking me to do that might defy my better judgment? I think at times God asks us to do things that seem absolutely crazy, that defy our better judgment. Ask yourself, what is God asking me to do? It might be giving. It might be serving. It might be doing some extra Bible reading. It might be doing some extra time in prayer. Things that you think, well, I don't have time for that. What's God asking you to do that defies your better judgment? Let's read on. Let's read verses 8 through 19 now. So starting in verse 8. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead, and the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord. While the trumpets kept sounding, 
So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction and bring trouble on any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So, first stage of the roller coaster ride was seeing the massive roller coaster and thinking, this is unbelievable. Second stage of a roller coaster ride is sitting there climbing that massive hill and having no turning back. Right? They won't stop it for you at that point. If you say, never mind, I want off, it's too late. There's no turning back. Sometimes God asks us to completely commit to him where there is no turning back. And I want you to see what's happening. Joshua and the people march around the city just as God had ordered. There's no turning back at this point. God's crazy plan is going to be fulfilled. We're going to do it the way God told us to do. And I imagine lining up, they thought this is crazy. But probably what was more crazy was when they actually started marching around this city. And after the first day, they march around the city, and then they go back to camp. I imagine that the people in the city are watching them march around the city thinking, okay, they finally hit the foal, get all the way around the city, And the people are prepared for battle. And what happens? Back to camp. And this happens over and over and over again. But I want you to see the structure that's being used. The structure is that God is in the middle. This is not Joshua's battle plan. This is not Joshua's battle. God is in the middle. There's armed guards in front, armed guards behind. You know the story. You know that the walls are going to come tumbling down. But have you ever thought about the fact that the walls could have come down without Joshua and the army? God didn't need that army marching around the city. God could have brought the walls down. So why? Why did God invite Joshua and his army to participate? Because God invites us to be part of his work. God could do it all on his own. He doesn't need us. But he invites us to be part of his work. We saw earlier there are seven priests playing seven trumpets. The trumpets that are used or described are not battle trumpets, but they are jubilee trumpets. Let me turn... Uh, or we'll skip the verse, but if you want to write it down, Numbers 10.10 is where these trumpets are described, is in Numbers 10.10. And these trumpets are used not to signal a military activity. They're used to signal that God's presence is in the camp. 
These are not military horns for giving orders. These are horns to signal the very presence of God. These are religious horns. Everything about this story is that God's in the middle. Look at the attitude that Joshua calls for. An attitude of solemn confidence and respect. Joshua calls for silence. I like how he describes it. He starts off saying, don't shout. Don't be loud. Actually, don't even say a word. You know, he narrows down. Silence. Don't say anything. Let the trumpet sound the presence of God and just march. When we get to the end, I'll let you shout. But in the meanwhile, just march. I personally am not a silence person. I don't do well with just silence. I like to fill it with words. I know some of you are worse at that than I am. Some of you are better. That would be really hard for me to just march and not say a word. But that's the attitude God asks for. Look at the rules that God gives. It all belongs to God. You are to vote, devote everything in this city to me. I am the one fighting this battle. I'm the one leading. I'm in the middle. It all belongs to God. Those are the rules of engagement. So let me give you an action step here. Here's my action step. Keep following God's directions, even if it sounds like you're stuck on repeat. Imagine what you've been asked to do if you are an Israelite here. You've been asked to circle the city and then go back to camp. Day two, circle the city and go back to camp. Day three, circle the city and go back to camp. I don't know about you, I would be done at day three. But it keeps going. Day four, day five, day six. I have no idea what the people in Jericho thought by the time day six comes. Day seven. You've just marched for six days straight. If you weren't in shape, well, a half hour of exercise a day is a good amount. Maybe you're in a little bit better shape. But now, after you know, six days of exercise, we're not going to march around the city once this time, not twice, not three times. We're going to march around the city seven times. Now, instead of 30 minutes, we're talking three and a half hours. If any of you have ever hiked, a three and a half hour hike can be a little bit tiring. It would have made a whole lot more sense to go into battle after day one and a half hour hike than it did to go into battle after day seven with six days of working out and then seventh day being a hard workout, right? Your legs are going to be tired at this point, probably, carrying armor. But that's God's method. So even if it seems like you're stuck on repeat, stay there. God's got you there. God might be asking us to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. You know, the definition, the colloquial definition of insanity is doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting different results. God might ask you for that. God might ask you to do the same thing over and over again and just wait for his timing.
That's what God asked for Joshua. And let's read verses 20 to 25 to see the results. In verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought her out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. All right. Remember, on our roller coaster ride, we see the big hill, we go up the big hill, and then we come down. And that's when usually realization strikes. As we are participating in God's plan, we're able to see his works, and we see this is amazing. This is a whole lot of fun. This is worth the anticipation. This is worth the build-up. This is fun. So in roller coasters, they usually talk about the different thrill parts of it, the different turns. So I'm going to give you some different thrills here. The first thrill that I see in verses 20 to 21 is that it is God who's fighting the battle. The people march around, they hit the seventh time, the trumpets blare, the people shout, and the walls come down. Archaeology actually demonstrates the walls of Jericho literally all came down in in ways that they still can't fully explain. I can explain it. It was God. But archaeology demonstrates that this did happen to Jericho, and the city was burned after this happened. It's really quite fascinating how accurate things are. Theologians have debated what caused the walls to come down. Let me give you some of their ideas that they've come up with. Some theologians say it was an earthquake. Some theologians argue that maybe there were Israelite soldiers who were digging into the walls while the rest of them were marching around. Others that don't really understand physics think it might be the vibration caused by the trumpets and the shout. Some say it was a shockwave caused by the marching feet. Okay, I've got the solution for you. Look at Hebrews 11.30. This is going to be our memory verse. So let's say it together. Hebrews 11.30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Hebrews 11.30. God fights the battle. 31 is that God keeps his promises. Hebrews 11.31 continues, and it says, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. The second promise is that God kept his promise. Rahab survived. Remember, where was Rahab's house? On the wall, on that earthen rampart where everything fell down, right in the middle of the most violent action in this entire battle, 
is Rahab's house. And God protected it. He kept his promise. In fact, we see Rahab is put outside the camp of Israel. Why? She was ritually impure. She hadn't gone through the purification that Israel had just done earlier in chapters 4 and 5. Later, what we see there in verse 25 is that she lives among the Israelites to this day. After her period of purification, she's brought in and she lives among the Israelites. God kept his promise. Rahab was saved. The third thrill I see in verses 24 and 25, and that is total victory. The city is burned to the ground. The city is burned. There is total victory in Jericho. I have a theory. Fort Jericho, I've said it was a fort, probably did not have many people other than military men in the city. Actually, my theory is that I think Rahab and her family might have been the only non-military people in the city. Where do military people go in a battle in a city? To the walls, right? I suspect there are very few people in the city that were still living by the time God finished his part of the battle. I think God won that victory handily, directly. God is the one who fought this battle. Let's continue on to verses 26 and 27. Actually, I should give you my action step first. My action step, I don't want to skip this one at all, is to make a short list of the victories that you're currently experiencing. I actually want to take a pause here for just a second to give you a chance to do this. How has God given you victory in the last month? Write something down. Well, have you seen God work? Okay, now I'm going to move on to verses 26 and 27. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gate. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. After riding the roller coaster and you walk away, the response is often, that was amazing. That was cool. That was fantastic. Our reflection, as we look back at God's work, gives us confidence in God's future work. As we look back at God's past work, we gain a confidence in God's future work. Look at what Joshua says. Nobody should ever rebuild the city of Jericho. Jericho is actually one of the oldest cities in the world. Uh, It dates back to its founding was approximately 7,000 years ago. So by the time Joshua is conquering Jericho, The city of Jericho is 3,500 years old that it has stood. It takes a lot of confidence to look at a city that stood for 3,500 years and say, cursed is anybody who ever tries to do this again. That's confidence in God. In fact, that confidence played out in 1 Kings 16.34 in the reign of Ahab. They actually do try to rebuild the city. 
And so I'll read that. Uh, in 1 Kings 16.34, it says, In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his first son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, the son of Nun. People tried to re-inhabit Jericho, and they paid dearly. In fact, we know that the city of Jericho never reached fort status again. You know, people have lived in, in its vicinity. Nomadic people have, have settled there, but it never reached a pinnacle of achievement that it had reached at this point. Joshua's confidence was all God. It was all God. We see that in verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Joshua's fame spread, but it wasn't Joshua who fought the battle of Jericho. It was God who fought the battle of Jericho. It was all God. So let me give you an action step here. Take time to reflect on God's victories, allowing your reflection. In step three, look at that victory. Reflect on that victory. Think about how God has provided for you in the past and let that reflection motivate you to trust God for the future. And then I want to remind you, because of the cross, because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, paid the penalty, defeated sin, rose from the dead, conquering death. When we are fighting, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. The victory's already been won. Just like in Joshua 6-2, God said he'd already delivered the city. The victory has already been won. We are not fighting for victory, we are fighting from victory. I have to admit to you, as I was thinking about point number two this week and last week, about keep following God's directions even if it seems like you're stuck on repeat. One of the areas that I feel like I'm stuck on repeat had actually been in praying for national revival. I'll admit, in my mind, I've often thought, yeah, I'm supposed to pray for revival, pray for our country, but really does it do any good? I'll admit that. The answer is yes. God might have us spin our wheels for decades praying. He might have us spin our wheels for months praying for the giving of our church. He might have us stuck on repeat as we march around the city of Jericho wondering, is God ever going to actually deliver this city? And the answer is yes. God has already won the victory. He's more concerned with our hearts because he's already won the battle. So I want to take some time, and I want to invite you to take a couple of minutes and pray. You might pray for your heart. You might pray for the heart of our church. You might pray for our country. Lots of things are happening in your life. Lots of things are happening in our church, and lots of things are happening in our country. It's been a very, very 
exciting, very many events over the last several weeks in our church, in our lives, and in our country. I'm going to give you two minutes for yourself to just pray, and then I'll pray here in two minutes, and we'll go ahead and continue forward. Take some time to pray. Father, I thank you that you're a God who wins battles. That you bring us along, though, for that. You gave Joshua and Israel the opportunity to be part of your victory. And as I think about my prayer life, I think of the victories that you've given me, but I also think of the times when I pray thinking that this won't actually change anything. I pray that you would change our hearts. I pray that you would change the hearts of the people in this room to love you deeper, to trust you deeper. I pray that you would change the hearts of people who couldn't make it today. I pray that we would have a desire to know you. But I also pray for our country. Tomorrow will be a significant day in our country as we celebrate another anniversary. I pray that you would work in the hearts of the people of our country to turn us to you that our hearts would be broken for the sins that we've committed in the past. But in that brokenness, it wouldn't be just a Band-Aid solution, but it would be a wholehearted turning to the God who conquers battles, who's already won the victory. I pray that we would turn to you. I pray today, as we celebrate who you are, in worship, that you would work within each of us. Help us to be drawn to you, to be focused on you, and to realize the victory that you've already won. In Jesus' name, amen.